I'm Jyotha Gupta and this is the Pulse Technology. No doubt technology can make life easier and more convenient for just about everyone. But for people with disabilities, technology has long been held up as an answer with unbridled zeal. An answer to what you ask? An answer to fitting in. Technology can make the impossible possible. Reading books, riding a bike, climbing mountains, everything that had previously seemed out of reach because of a disability is made possible with better technology. Technology can change lives and open up opportunities. Technology can mean liberation, technology can mean progress. Technology has long been held up as a fix for disability. But is technology the solution for disability we want or need? Today, we discuss techno-ableism. It's time to put your finger on the pulse. Hello and welcome to The Pulse on AMI-audio. I'm really excited to be talking about disability and technology because I know in our community, a lot of us love our tech. I'm not going to den- I'm not going to deny that I wouldn't be able to host this show if it wasn't for some technology, but it's always refreshing to get a different take on the relationship between disability and technology. Ashley Shu is associate professor in the College of Liberal Arts and Human Sciences at Virginia Tech. She is the author of Against Technoableism: Rethinking Who Needs Improvement. Ashley, hello and welcome to the program. Thank you so much for speaking to me today. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Joita. What is techno-ableism? So techno-ableism, I mean, so I I should start off by saying I'm not anti-technology. I like good technologies that work. Um, You know, it'd be very hypocritical for me to have an anti-technology book as someone who's walking around in a prosthetic leg um, who occasionally puts hearing aids um, inside her ears um, and and who, you know, takes advantage of, um, you know, different types of uh, medication that help me uh, with different things, right? So I'm not anti-technology. What I'm against um, in this book, against techno-ableism, is sort of a particular story that we've been told about technology and about disability that sees disability as solving the problem, uh, that seems technology is solving the problem of disability, um, and that sort of enforces a particular narrative on disabled people where our bodies and our minds call out for technology um, and for someone to help us at all times because of the narratives we have that are so, so ableist to begin with. Um, So often when sort of narratives about the power of technology and sort of the problem of disability, and I would put problem in scare quotes there, um, these things fuse together to tell a story where sort of we can't think about other solutions and we can't even like see outside of like we have to see disability as inherently problematic through a lot of these lenses too, to think that technology is always an approach we should take. Um, So... A lot of this gets seen in how technologies are advertised. A lot of it gets seen in uh, like news coverage of any disability technology. Every disability technology is going to change our lives, um, and and you know that's not hyperbole. Um, that is how they are um, describing these technologies um, so often when we see any news coverage of disability-related technology. And a lot of those technologies, of course, won't come to fruition. They won't make it to the market. And if they do make it to the market, a lot of them fail too. Um, so, so 
I want us to get out of that that mindset um, and and do a better job of actually appreciating disabled people as as as, uh, as makers and as shapers and as agents of our own liberation um, in opposition to a lot of these narratives. When I was uh, much younger, my first summer job had been organizing a preparatory program for students who were blind or low vision, um, and they were about to start college or university, and this was a week-long preparatory program. And I remember one of the students was really talented, and she had a beautiful voice, um, but she also uh, unusually, I'm going to put that in square quotes, scare quotes, and say unusually didn't use a computer. Uh, she wanted everything in Braille and uh, was... I remember quite heavily chastised for wanting things in Braille and not embracing a screen reader and other technological solutions for her disability. How much of techno-ableism comes down to punishing people with disabilities for not using the right tech or the, mo or the latest tech, for making choices about, say, but I don't like, you know, X, Y, and Z. It may be the newest thing on the market. I prefer to use something else that's been around a lot longer, but getting pushback on that. Yeah, I mean, so often we're marketed different technologies as disabled people and told that we should be using the latest and greatest thing, um, that there's there's some, some new solution that we should be using. And it makes the technologies that we already have and like seem less good. So, I mean, when it comes to technology for blind people, I think about... Um, uh, you know, some of these these newer tools, uh, but lots of people like, like enjoy, use Braille. Um, a lot of these technologies aren't replacements um, necessarily for that. I also think about just the way, like the common attitudes around wheelchairs and wheelchair use. Like so many people who would benefit from using wheelchairs are actually discouraged from doing it because it's seen as inferior to other ways of being and existing in the world. Um, and I see every new foot gadget for amputees. I'm an amputee. I like amputee. Um, every new foot gadget like is supposed to like change the world for us. And sometimes, sometimes things are just incrementally better. They don't have to change everything, new materials, whatnot. And sometimes things are actually a step back. Um, J. Preet Verdi um, talks a lot about how um, how much less she's able to hear now that all now that all hearing aids are digital, and of course she learned to hear through analog hearing aids, and you can't even find those on the market anymore. Sort of the the will to upgrade um, for her has been um, not a good upgrade. Uh, there's also lots of issues with. Of course, with digitalized technologies um, surveilling us to a higher degree than non-disabled people. Um, so I'm feeding all this data in, and it's data that's very close and intimate to me. Um, and non-disabled people are often not not scrutinized in the same sorts of ways that disabled people are in these technological environments. Um, and 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 just the sort of maintenance. So even if I really really like a technology. A lot of times I want something lower tech because I know I can fix it um, or I know someone who will be able to figure out how to help me um, get it fixed on a shorter time period um, than, than things that have been, um, you know, sent to the cloud, right? You got to hope your internet connection doesn't go out um, um, or any of these new technologies. So oftentimes we're told things are, are much, much better when the technologies we already have might be reliable 
in ways that non-disabled people fail to appreciate and also reveal less about us and make us less vulnerable in terms of um, maintenance, needing maintenance, yeah. but also in terms of surveillance. Yes, it's a, re- it's a really good point about surveillance. But I'm also curious about who is creating all this tech for people with disabilities. Is it people with disabilities who get input into the process or is it non-disabled people uh, trying to figure out what's best for a disabled end user? Um, I mean, I want to say sometimes uh, dis- disabled people are are making and shaping technology, but those aren't the vast majority of disabled tech stories that make it into the marketplace. Um, so while we might t- trade uh, tri- tricks um, and tips with one another in disability community and get you know, better technological configurations for it, right? When I go to my amputee group and we have a whole discussion about where to locate um, grab bars in a shower or what sorts of shower chairs work, uh, we are, in fact, like having a conversation about technology and helping one another. That is never talked about um, in wider outside um, disability uh, type media. Uh, What we get is, you know, instead there are these stories about humanitarian engineers who are helping disabled people, um, or or what is not news, but actually just PR. Like for so many technologies, when they get the label disability, or when they're disability related, um, at that point, the reporting um, is a lot less critical. Because of course, the people who are working on those technologies mean to help people. Um, so sort of probing questions like, how will this work with insurance? Will anybody be able to afford this? Will Medicare, Medicaid cover this sort of thing if you're in the United States um, in ways that people will actually be able to get this? And and do people like it? I, I'm always disheartened at the number of news stories about technology that interview the makers, the engineers, the designers, don't actually interview any of the users. Sometimes they interview family members of users. I see that more often. And that is actually really problematic, too, that someone always has to be speaking for us and it can never be us. Do you think there's a difference between technology that's designed specifically for people with disabilities versus the technology that people with disabilities might adopt uh, that was designed for everybody? I'm thinking about, you know, the difference between a, a phone that's designed specifically for the blind. They they do exist. They are out there, out there versus something that's like the iPhone which has uh, something like voiceover built into it as a feature of the phone. So there's nothing really special about the iPhone. It wasn't built for people with disabilities. It just has an an extra feature that allows someone who's visually impaired to make use of it. Does that framing change the conversation about uh, disability and technology? I mean, I think so often people are looking to valorize non-disabled helpers of disabled people. Um, And that really gets in the way of like good tech assessment, like have the relevant users been interviewed? I may also think about where disabled people are brought in in the process as well. Um, and that's that's one thing I'm currently working on with the uh, Disability Community Tech Center um, um, that we're starting at Virginia Tech. Um, it is about actually having disabled people consult on projects long before they're funded, um, you know, before that grant proposal is written that has has like an idea for how we're going to help disabled people or even, you know, something in the absence of disability, like input from disabled community members can tell you a lot about infrastructure um, in a way that that few other populations know about, um, just given the sort of infrastructure that we have to pay attention to that other people don't. Um, 
so actually having disabled people as consultants as and collaborators leading these projects and directing them ends up being important not just to you know uh to getting the technology in a way that a community might like it but also there's this this part here where so many people are brought in as human subjects right so you already know the project right if you're you're an engineer who's working on these things or a designer you already know what it is you want and now you're bringing in disabled people usually of a very specific type of disability to test in a limited ways particular functions um and you already know what you're trying to make at the point where you're bringing in human subjects so the ability of disabled people to actually shape um, and change what that technology is or what it can do is often very limited. Also, they're usually recruiting for people with one type of disability. When we're talking about human subjects research, most of us have more than one. And then that means like the sort of cross disability, like conversation you could have about technology is really limited, means that the technologies we get are like imagined against a version of a disabled person that doesn't actually exist very often, uh, that is to have someone who's singly disabled. In the book, you talk about how when you go to be, you know, after your, your amputation, when you uh, look for someone to fit you with a prosthetic, they're very real about the process. Um, you know, they have, you know, all these pictures and videos of people going up and down stairs and, and things like that. Uh, but they're also very honest about the fact that it doesn't go that way for everybody and you have good days and you have bad days. How prevalent is that sort of thinking? Are we spending enough time talking about the messy day-to-day -day reality of using tech? I mean, for all that I might extol the virtue of an iPhone or assistive technology and software that allows me to use a laptop, the reality is these things don't work a lot of the time and then you're back to square one. But how much of a conversation are we having in this in this broad discourse about dis disability and technology about the fact that often the tech doesn't work the way it was supposed to? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm really lucky in that the prosthetist that I I chose and I interviewed a number before um, deciding, I, and I was lucky in the sense that I had three months before my amputation where I knew I'd be getting an amputation, so I had time to like interview a whole bunch of people and find out who I wanted to work with. Uh, my prosthetist, um, who's been in the business for a very long time. Uh, we, we had a whole conversation about how it's not going to be the same as it was ever again, right? That I was going to be an amputee um, and that this would impact my life in, um, in, in ways that had never been shown to me in sort of movies, TV, entertainment, uh, news, um, anything depicting an amputee. Um, so many of these things sort of gloss over the day-to-day. Right. So you hear a story from someone's best day. Right. And they're running a marathon, um, but doesn't tell you about like the blisters that they had after that on, on their residual limb um, or, or keeps you, you know, it gives you the parts that are really interesting to non-disabled people, but doesn't tell you about the everydayness of disability where it is normal to you um, that, that you have to go through sort of a checklist in the morning um, um, as you you know, put on your liner and then put on your leg and then put the, sh the sock on your leg. And it's just like a, a nesting doll process um, until you get to your shoe uh, that there were like all of these steps that that are like you until you're doing it, you don't know what it is. Um, and then getting used to it, like it seems so painful in the beginning that you have to go through all these steps and it's such a hassle. But then you get good at it and it doesn't seem like anything. Like it's no longer a problem. Just sort of the zigzagginess, like sometimes... 
things are great. And I go for a walk and everything's wonderful and my dog's happy. And, um, and then other days I put on the leg and it's not going to feel the same, right? I ate too many salty onion rings the day before and all of a sudden my residual limb is a little bit bigger um, and nothing feels right. And I have to like ice and put up my leg or I have to you know, um, take some ibuprofen and hope I don't upset my guts and, you know, try to put back my cyborg body into a more functional shape. Um, you know, we, we don't see the ins and outs of it. We don't see them as normal. They're like exceptionalized when we do, or it's made to seem tragic. Oh, there's so many steps you have to take to, you know, get your leg on and actually take steps. Um, and it's not, you get, you, you get used to so many things. Some years ago, um, I want to say about two or three years ago, uh, there was a, a woman I'd interviewed on the show, Krista Couture, and Krista would, had done a number of really amazing things, uh, not least was when she was pregnant, and she realized there weren't a lot of pictures of mothers who were also amputees. She took a lot of pic- she took pictures, and she, she talked about her journey um, a, as an amputee in that way. You know, she's very creative about dressing up the prosthetic leg and, you know, making it cool and creative. Do you think that there are ways in which people with disabilities can take back the narrative about technology and discard the able savior narrative that that has been fed to us for so long? I'm heartened by the number of disability narratives and disability memoirs that I see hitting the market right now. I, I talk about some of these. I am excited by, say, uh, what Alice Wong's doing with the Disability Visibility Project um, in having, you know, disabled people interview each other. I mean, kind of like we're doing now. I, I also approve very much of, of the pulse here um, where disabled people are in conversation with each other. And I think that's very different than always being expected to be in conversation and curate yourself for a non-disabled audience, um, even though I hope non-disabled people will read and listen and learn. Um, they they shouldn't be the central figures in all the storytelling we do. Do you think there's a lesson here in your book against techno-ableism that, I mean, of course, I would like for us to think differently about technology as people with disabilities, but do you think there are lessons here for uh, the creators of technology? I mean, you've, you've touched on a lot of things already about involving people with disabilities earlier in the project and so on and so forth. But do you think your book paves the way for a fundamental rethink on how uh, technology can be involved in the lives of people with disabilities that doesn't necessarily involve fixing a person's disability? I mean, part of that is having more disabled creators um, and making the things we want to see in the world and shaping shaping the technologies we have um, in ways that better suit us and our creativity. So many times... Um, Disability technologies imagine our circumstances, right? And that's, you know, the engineers, designers, artists imagining uh, what it is to be disabled. That They often get the story wrong. And I talk about that a lot in my book. That, that's a good chunk of it, um, where the story gets warped because of different expectations, different sort of narrative tropes that are negative about disability and sort of this overarching savior narrative. Um, but I even think about like, like things like walkers, right? They're, the dull gray hospital walker is the one that comes into your mind. And it is a, like walkers are fantastic technologies. And a lot of times people really hold off using something like a walker because it has this dull gray image. Um, 
that we could actually make things beautiful and fun to use um, is is something I think disabled people appreciate. Um, you know, certainly when my friend um, got surgery last year and started using one of those dull gray wa walkers, the first thing I did was like gather all my my colorful tape. Um, get a whole bunch of stickers about, um, you know, being disabled and proud because she is, um, and, and affix them to this walker so that everywhere she was taking it, um, it represented her and it was more joyful. Um, and, and those are, I mean, that's a small, like, that's the price of stickers that I could improve that. And, and walkers are cheap, um, if we're talking about, um, just the, the basic frame, um, but they're good technologies and too few people use them um, because they have the, this particular image. Um, so I also think about how our technological choices can be shaped by how things look. Um, and, you know, some of this I think about a lot as an amputee and everyone's trying to make a prettier leg. And I don't really care if it's pretty or not as long as it works. Um, but then also I think about all the stories from arm amputees who, who choose five-fingered arms uh, because then the people around them aren't sad for them. <laughs> like these narratives about like, hey, I got this thing that looked more like more like they expected. So when they encounter me, they don't encounter me with sadness. Even though I haven't changed at all, I've ch made a particular t technological choice to change how people interact with me. I think those are uh, really powerful narratives in our community that make us, that should make us think more about how we design things to be a pleasure to use and not just be a consolation in some cases. Yeah, yeah. that's really beautiful. You know, um, the one thing I should ask you about is if everyone is thrusting this narrative about how great technology is for people with disabilities and it's the be all and end all, um, I'm sure you've heard people lament the exorbitant cost of a lot of this tech. Uh, and the fact that a lot of government programs don't cover the tech. I talked to you previously about the iPhone. I mean, people in Canada have been saying for years that the iPhone should be covered by the by the government. They should pay for that as an as an accessibility aid for people who are vision impaired. Still hasn't happened. Why is it that we're so slow to pay for tech, uh, but very quick to promote it as a fix for disability? Oh, because, well, I mean, from a non-disabled perspective, then you don't have to worry about it. If you think the solution's already here, then you don't need to worry about disabled people anymore. And that's one of the scarier parts about techno-ableist narratives, um, to think things are tidally solved and to not actually understand nuance. I mean, this is one of the reasons I think consulting by disabled people early on in a lot of tech projects is important because then you can actually like talk about what it takes in terms of like adoption by insurance and by national healthcare um, in order for us to actually get a tech uh, item working, maintained. Um, no, some of the costs are, are wild. Um, and at least in, in the US, I mean, I pay out of pocket for my hearing aids and it is ridiculous. I mean, insurance does take care of my whole leg. I'm lucky for that. And it's more expensive than my hearing aids. Um, but I think also people don't understand like the long waits for maintenance, um, especially especially if you have inferior tech, right? The long waits for maintenance uh, when we see things as already solved, um, or even to paint them as pro problems in the first place, it 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 changes how we approach and engage. Um, and so often we've had non-disabled people who have gotten to be the experts about disability, and they've not led us sort of to the you know, correct 
better way of thinking about how technology and disability fit together. Uh, we need disabled experts um, all along the way here. We just have a little bit of time left, less than a minute. Uh, do you want to give us a, a you, you do have a small excerpt from the book you'd like to read. Would you like to set that up, up for us and uh, read out a little bit from your book so we can get a sense of it? Sure. Um, this is from my chapter called New Legs and Old Tricks. Um, and I've sort of just had five vignettes about leading up to my amputation, uh, where people have said uh, how great new tech will be and how I'll be better than, than, than I ever was before, um, and how people um, you know, were kind to me and how I got, you know, the moment I got a rollator, uh, which is a walker with wheels, was a big moment when I could throw it into my own car and get in my car was probably a bigger moment in terms of technology for me. Um, and my mobility um, than getting a new leg was um, just because I knew I could go places. Um, and then that had been, um, I mean, I was going through really a terrible regimen of chemo. So like having enough energy to stick a walker in my car was a significant moment. Anyway, so now I've, I've been through these things and I say lift off. Here we go. I have been interested in technology and disability for a long time, even before I knew I too would become an amputee. The stories we see about amputation and paralysis are probably familiar to you, ingrained through Paralympic coverage and Toyota ads, through dance competition shows, through news articles about the latest and greatest in disability tech, through stories that feature war-injured veterans coming back to their homes and communities outfitted with the best tech. We are inundated with imagery of disabled people overcoming the circumstances of their bodies through technology, which is framed as a kind of technological salvation for bodies and minds. When I became an amputee, people kept reassuring me, actually reassuring themselves, that with advanced and wonderful prosthetic technologies, I would be back even better than ever, superhuman, enhanced, a $10 million bionic woman. Other types of disabled people aren't always subject to this narrative. They are supposed to wait and hope for the day when technological advances enough to help their, quote unquote, broken bodies or minds which are depicted as less worthy of love, care, pride, and positivity. In contrast, the amputee problem, here again in scare quotes, the problem of being an amputee, particularly a leg amputee, is often depicted as being, in quotes here, solved. People point to the Paralympian-turned-murderer Oscar Pistorius, the Blade Runner, and Amy Purdy on Dancing with the Stars. The parameters for being a successful amputee, which generalize to parameters for being a successful disabled person, period are clear, recover, overcome, inspire, become normal again, but with the added razzle-dazzle of technological enhancement. That's amazing. Ashley, thank you so much for speaking to us today. It was such a fascinating read, and you really got me rethinking my relationship with technology. So thank you very much for chatting today on the program. Oh, thank you so much for having me on the program. It's been um, um, really great to talk about it with, with this particular um, um, podcast and with you. Ashley Shu is Associate Professor in the College of Liberal Arts and Human Sciences at Virginia Tech. She is the author of Against Techno-Ableism, Rethinking Who Needs Improvement. Well, folks, just before we go, I wanted to give you a couple of ways to get in touch with us. You can write us an email, write to feedback at ami.ca. You can give us a call at 1-866-509-4545. That's 1-866-509-4545. And don't forget to leave permission to play the voicemail on the program. You're also welcome to find us on X, formerly Twitter, at AMI-audio. Use the hashtag PulseAMI. The videographer today has been Jay Kemp. 
In for our normal technical producer, Marco Flalu, is Jordan Steves. Ryan Delahanty is coordinator for podcasts at AMI Audio. Andy Frank is the manager for AMI Audio. And I've been your host, Chuita Gupta. Thanks for listening. Thank you.